Trevor, and we're the Boo Crew. Welcome to episode 151. Here's a Boo Crew Fright Pack. In 1999's The Haunting, the creaks and moans heard throughout the house were recorded and played during filming to get a more authentic expression of fear out of the actors. This time around, we are joined by writer-director Aaron B. Kuntz and actor Melora Walters. They are here to talk about their incredible new Western horror epic, The Pale Door, available in theaters on demand and digital now. It's a gang of outlaws versus a coven of witches. Who? We'll have the quickest draw. Find out on episode 151. This is Melora Walters. And this is Aaron B. Kitts. You're about to join our Sabbath with the Boo Crew. Crew. (laughs) This way to the brothel. Gentlemen, please make yourselves at home. I understand there was a reward. Of course. A handsome sum for these handsome men. Don't be afraid. What just happened? Go ahead, scream. That's all we need. Another victim crawls onto the gurney for a Boo Crew autopsy. Joining the Boo Crew via the Speakeasy Studio are two exceptional and inspired creators. He is a returning guest and friend of the show, a producer, writer, editor, and director, the president and founder of Austin-based Paper Street Pictures. His award-winning work includes 2014's Starry Eyes, 2017's Camera Obscura, and one of the best horror films of this year, according to everyone, and made official by Shudder and Rotten Tomatoes, the tremendously fun anthology picture, Scare Package. Also here with us is an actor, writer, producer, and director whose career is absolutely thrilling. Her debut was in the Oscar-winning Dead Poet Society, had a reoccurring role on the Emmy and Golden Globe-winning Roseanne, the Wonder Years, Seinfeld, Desperate Housewives, the People's Choice-winning L.A. Doctors, unforgettably portrayed Wanda Hendrickson on the Golden Globe-celebrated Big Love, most recently on the Emmy-nominated Pen15. Her film work is absolutely legendary. Oscar-nominated works like Boogie Nights, Magnolia, frequent collaborator of Paul Thomas Anderson. There's the, the Butterfly Effect, Ed Wood, the Oscar-winning Cold Mountain, her own films she's written and directed, such as Water Lily, Jaguar, and Drowning. She is so versatile and charismatic and has the ability to bring so much gravity to her characters and work that it's exhilarating to see her play the head of a coven of witches in this marvelous new and unique horror western film. It's called The Pale Door. With us is writer-director Aaron Kuntz and star Melora Walters. Yeah! Yeah! I'm going to record that and just keep that hole open as like a pick-me-up. I could have, first off, that's that's every reason why Melora is one of my favorite people like on the planet. And I keep saying is my muse because she is for all of those aforementioned reasons. And then just your intro are always just off the charts insane that was that's 
Amazing. Well, thank you very much. And all accolades are rightfully deserved. And uh, yes, Melora, yeah. welcome to the to the Boo Crew Fold. It's seriously an honor to have you. Congratulations, you guys both on this marvelous piece of work. And Aaron, coming right off the inertia and buzz of what is Scare Package, how does this feel right now to jump right into the release of this new one? I have no idea what's happening. It's a really, really weird thing. I never expected. I mean, it's it, look, make every movie's a miracle to get a movie made, right? So the fact that there are two films releasing in two months of each other in and so very different. I mean, they're both in like the horror world, but they're so very different tonally in what we're trying to do. It's uh, absolutely insane and crazy. But Cameron and I always joke, it's like the summer of Paper Street. So uh, we'll take it. Now, how about you, <laughs> right. Melora, now getting a chance to reflect back on, on the work through the lens of an audience? What is that part of the process like to experience? I'm just excited for people to see this film. I mean, it was so much fun to make. It looked like it was a blast to make. We'll get all into that in a sec. But first of all, we like to do a little icebreaker, which is to kind of delve into our guests' personal horror history with the genre. We'd like to know, Melora, the first time you remember seeing a horror film and what that was like for you. I'm not a huge horror film person, I confess, because I get scared too easily. I believe everything, and then, you know, the film's over, and, and I go home, and it's dark, and I know that things are lurking. So I really try to avoid horror films at all costs. Is there a particular film that you remember seeing that caused that effect for you? Or you were like, okay, this is not for me, the decisive one? Yeah, maybe someone had said, watch The Exorcist, and I was, I saw a little, I was like, no. Because I believe, because I believe like it could happen. And (laughs) I saw, by accident, I went to see The Orphanage. I guess walks a line between horror and psychological, right? Halfway through that film, I'm like, I I can't do this. But, you know, it was Spanish and the actress is so brilliant. And then at the end, I was like, all right, well, this is a psychological. This is like psychologically horror. And then I saw Aaron's film, The Pale Door. (laughs) (laughs) Which is absolutely everything you're terrified of. (laughs) That was different because I watched it this weekend. And I remember everything that was happening sure. behind, out of frame. So that was tolerable. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Aaron, back on your previous appearance on episode 138, you told us you grew up on Monster Vision and running a videotape of your grandma's HBO feed and getting to experience films like The Shocker and The Shining, Jaws and Alien. So for mm-hmm. you, we'll approach this question from a little bit different angle. What are some recent horror movies you've checked out that have taken your breath away? So I really liked... I will say Jordan Peele's Us is probably the one that I come back to a lot. I did an entire podcast on Us and just how I think it's such a beautiful kind of allegory to um, our current times as far as, like, I really do think the red is kind of represents the Republican Party and stuff. And there's all, I have all kinds of crazy ideas behind what that means, which I think is kind of brilliant and beautiful. Getting into, like, the more of the psychological horror and the thriller horror, like, I, I love Green Room. I just rewatched that again recently. I think it's definitely a horror film still in its own regard. I think Jeremy Sonia is, like, such an inspirational director and creator. But, I mean, I watch everything, you know, so so I'm the opposite. So, between Melora and I, we get we get everything covered. Melora and I have seen every movie now. 
So that's that's how it works out and how we can balance that. So. <laughs> and Melora's been in absolutely everything. So there you go. That's yeah, that's the thing. <laughs> so let's get into the pale door and the conception of the story leading to what became this really cool collaboration with Cameron Burns and Keith Lansdale. Yeah, I mean, look, it was uh, Cameron and I had written a, a Western, like a, a violent, weird Western that just didn't work. Like the, the last act just really wasn't coming together in the way that we wanted. And then uh, Robert Eggers, The Witch had come out, another modern film that I absolutely adore and love. And Universal asked me to pitch a witch movie. They're like, well, Aaron, do you got a witch story? And I'm like, of course I do. Uh, let me just pitch it to you tomorrow. And then I call Cameron. I'm like, OK, we got to come up with a witch movie tonight. We got to figure this out, you know. And uh, so we took the story that we had of this Western. And then because the third act wasn't working and we kind of reworked it to have them get stuck in this ghost town with the coven of witches. And like, that became an exciting thing. And I pitched it to them and they just, they weren't having it. They're like, wait, why are there cowboys in this story? Like, what does this have to do with, we just want normal witches. And I'm like, I don't know what a normal witch is, but that's fine. I'll figure that out. And uh, they passed. And then I ended up being on a screenwriting panel. I told that same story and Joe Lansdale was there and him and his son, Keith. And he's like, that's a really good idea. You should keep writing it. And one year to the day of me right, being on that panel, I was driving to Oklahoma to start directing The Pale Door. Wow, that's insane. That's crazy. Do you have a list of favorite witch movies that you refer back to? I love all, I mean, I know that, uh, so Raw Dolls, The Witches was a reference point for a look mm. that I wanted when they were in their kind of witch form, you know, and, and, and what that could be. I, it was a lot of fun just to play with the folklore of all the witches and like come up with all these different backgrounds and, and what could have, and, and I wanted to tie it into Salem too. That became a really interesting thing because, you know, those are not clearly witches, but we build this hysteria behind it. It's such a dark time in our history that I thought was just like a really there was something interesting there to explore, you know, and, and, and that if you could tie into something real, it could, it just makes everything a little scarier when you can take like real things that have happened and then kind of write a new story around that. And that really excited me, but goodness, like, I mean, I love the craft. I, I wish Leah Jania could have remade the craft. I know she was working on that and then moved on to fear street. She's such an amazing filmmaker and made honeymoon. I was really excited for her craft remake, but uh Goodness. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I love, I love tons of, I love the witch and we talked about that as well. I love all of them. So it, there's, there's just, again, there's such a rich folklore and history there to explore. So, and it was fun to kind of make my own version of what these witches should be. And, uh, and then to get someone as lovely and wonderful as, as Melora to kind of like head them up was like this perfect dream scenario. Well, we'll go to you, Melora. So how did you end up hearing about the project and what did you find compelling to jump on board? My agent sent me the script. I read it. I said, yes. Aaron and I spoke and I was like, yes. <laughs> Is there something about Aaron that made him uh, someone that you felt you gravitated toward and that it would be a fun collaboration? Aaron is really, really smart. And he's very gentle and he's an artist. So it becomes this beautiful collaboration. Aaron, in terms of the actual Dalton gang of outlaws, how much of their actual story, if any, did you incorporate into the script storyline of the movie? So when I was researching the gangs, the, the Dalton gang was a gang that I kept going back to that I thought was really fascinating. I love that the leader, first off, there was a brother gang. I really liked the idea because there's such a brother familial story that I wanted to have. So the fact that they were a brother gang made that more interesting. But then also there was, I can't remember which, which member of the gang it was, but he was shot something like 17 times and survived. Wow. And, I was like, oh, and I was like, okay, that's interesting. And then they also were the gang that robbed two banks at the same time. 
which I just thought was so cool. Um, and they're from yeah. Oklahoma. So I, what's right. interesting, actually, the saloon that we shot in, that sequence, the, the kind of bar sequence, that's an actual saloon the Dalton gang was in. And there was a gunfight that happened inside it. And there are bullet holes in that wall from the Dalton gang from, you know, 200 years ago. That's so crazy. Oh, wow. I was like, this is amazing. <laughs> yeah. So, but they're not, it's very loosely based. We just kind of took the name. I liked kind of some aspects of it. It's kind of like an homage to them. Uh, there's a couple characters. I will say that Wiley's character played by Pat Healy is a little closer to one of the brothers who kind of worked more as the lookout. He used to be a banker. He used to dress kind of, he talked a little pensively and, and all that. So I kind of, I kind of incorporated that character a little more, but then other than that, we went a different direction with all the other gang because I wanted, I also wanted a diverse gang. You know, when I researched these old Westerns and, and a lot of the real gangs, a lot of them were more they were diverse, you know, they had women, they had, they had African-Americans, they had different folks that were involved. So I, I thought that there was, there was a way to kind of explore that and not have kind of the whitewashed versions that you've seen in a lot of more recent cinema. I love that you incorporated kind of the best signature tropes of a traditional Western and put yeah, fun yeah. twists on it. Like everything from the showdown to a train robbery to beef jerky is all, it's all represented in this thing with its own sinister twists, which makes it so much fun. That's great. I'm glad you noticed that because it was, it was how do you how do you make a Western that doesn't feel too pastiche, but still is like very vintage Western? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you have to find a way to do these things, but then modernize them. And you also the way they talk, you know, it's just throw in like a had Bill Sage do a little greenhorn here and stuff like yeah. that, little words, but then not talk completely like Wild Bunch Western style because it starts to feel a little odd. And I love that movie and I love what they did, but it's just been, there's a different time period, I think, as far as what's going on. So we had to, how to massage that was definitely difficult. (laughs) Now, Melora, Maria has a very interesting backstory that is touched in on the film involving a past with the real life figure of Cotton Mather, whose book wrote in 1689 was considered very much to be the basis for what became the Salem Witch Trials. Talk about a little bit about the impact of grounding Maria in real history and in, and in those emotions and maybe anything that that brought to your performance of the character. I think Maria is very, very, she operates from a, from the primal part of her brain. Erin and I discussed this earlier today, but when I was playing her or when I play any role, really, the goal is to make her as real as possible. So here's a woman who was burned at the stake. These other women save her and help her give birth because she's burned at the stake pregnant. So, of course, she wants to take care of them and take care of her daughter and they become her family, which is very important. An interesting thing happened where it was grounded in in reality for me was James Landry Hebert, who plays Cotton Mather, is so brilliant and my character is very happy. She's this pregnant woman is very happy. And suddenly he shows up. The interaction with him playing the role because he's so brilliant made me wonder, Aaron, it made me wonder if maybe he was the father. Oh, <laughs> this is my new crazy theory. Wow. Because then he's operating out of fear, sins of the father that we discussed earlier. He's operating out of all this this ideology that someone created. But in actually just playing her, it was really simple. I'm happy. I'm pregnant. Nobody knows who the father is. There's no man who's like, you can't burn my wife. And I'm burned. 
and these women save me. And, and then she just becomes just this, like everything about her is primal and it's food and eating and love. And, you know, you're so beautiful. She genuinely like loves her family. This is her family and she has to save her family. So that's what I drew from in acting. But the whole witch thing is fascinating. Like Joan of Arc was burned at the stake for being a witch. Anytime some woman throughout history, except before Christianity, that, you know, it's because they did, they knew too much or they had a little too much power, too much or too much or, or fear. I can't go into that mindset when I'm acting. There can't be any judgment. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, no, totally. It, it comes across on screen with just, you have this swagger. That's the only way I can describe it. This, this, this is swagger that is all enveloping. It, it's quite right. amazing to watch. I'm curious, how is getting the experience of turning the tables and stepping behind the camera as you've done with writing and directing yourself in your own projects like Water Lily Jaguar, for instance, has that experience and going through that changed your approach as an actor at all? I've always felt that it was crucial, critical to defer to the director because the director writer created this world. So as much as, say, for instance, as an actress, you, you need to make the character as real as possible, the writer-director has created a world. So you might feel, my character would never do that. It's like standard actor talk. Well, my character would never do that. It's like, yeah, you would. So if anything, it's made me really want to try to create what the writer-director envisions even more. Then when I'm not acting and I'm watching, because I love to watch how everything works and how people work, then like watching Aaron, it was just like, oh, why, why can't I be like that? Why can't I do that? Why didn't I think of that? Like, how do you not think of that? This was kind of my first real genre film, like real. I remember on the first day, Aaron, I was like, yeah, well, okay, so they come in and, I'm, and he's bleeding and I'm trying to help him. And then the next setup, I'm on the other side of the room. I'm like, yeah, but, but like, how did I end up? Well, I don't understand. Like, I was over here and now I'm over there. And then the way Aaron explained it, because he's in the midst of chaos, because so much is involved in making these films. Actors are nothing. I realized that he edits while he's filming or before he's filmed. Like, it's, it's a visual thing. Like, I don't have to worry about how I motivated myself from here to there. Like, he sees it. <laughs> well, speaking of that, Aaron, how was the process of guiding and directing this wonderful actor who's, who's been in so many projects, who brings so much gravity to this role? What was that experience like in that dance between you and Melora in particular? It's one of the greatest honors of my life. Truly, wow. like that's not hyperbolic or anything. And I mean, and I, I was afraid for Laura to know the truth of like how much I actually had admired her work prior. But I, I decided to go to film school because of her look at the end of Magnolia. 100%. I mean, I, I watched that movie. I did not know what was happening. I was 19 years old. Did not understand completely why frogs are falling from the sky and these things are happening. But it moved right. <laughs> me so much. And her look into that camera is so pivotal to me as a filmmaker. 
And it was this level of like craft. It was like, well, how do you get to that? And it just meant so much. And uh, I mean, I have a magnolia tattoo, you know, what? like it's a, it's, a, it's a thing. And I was, I was so worried. I was like, I don't know. I was like, I was like, I was so worried Mila, that you were just going to think I was a crazy person and not want to work with me because of it. And, uh, but I just had admired her so much. So for that to happen, then I wrote her a letter when she, she got the sets and kind of explained a little bit more of this. And, and then it just became this immediate thing where, I mean, there was actually a moment where there was another actor who was kind of questioning a moment uh, that was happening. And I remember Melora, who's just so respected, you know, as she should be, just kind of said that she said, but uh, excuse me, but this is what Aaron wants. And I'm just like, whoa. I'm like, well, no, I'm listening. She's like, but Aaron, is this what you want? I'm like, this is what I want. Well, that's what Aaron wants. So why aren't you doing what Aaron wants? Wow. Yeah. I was like, oh. <laughs> right. It was just this amazing, amazing thing. And it's one thing to like admire someone in their work and what's there. And then you get to know someone, you get to understand like, just like how that beauty and what they emulate kind of just like permeates and everything else that they do, the way they talk, just the way they walk, the things that are about them. And it's just, it's been this like, you know, so for, to decide to go to film school. And I mean, I wrote, you know, her name's Maria. I mean, I'm, I, it was a base of, of Melora. Like I envisioned war from the get-go. So it's uh, this amazing, surreal experience. And even right now talking about it, it feels crazy to even say that. Beautifully so. said. I love this. Leo, you had a question you wanted to jump in. Making this Western horror involves so much more moving parts than your previous films. You have Western ghost town sets, a train, horseback riding, fantastic witch creature design, blood and gore. What were some of the biggest challenges in making this film? Goodness. I mean, first off, don't make a movie in Oklahoma during tornado season. Oh, man. That's, uh, oh, you know, shit. <laughs> we had category five tornadoes. We had hail, sleet, flooding. The generator was struck by lightning. I, lo- I lost over a full day of shooting oh, no. um, due to weather. Oh, so man. we had to scramble a lot and rework things. There's a blood pit sequence and we rain blood in a moment like later in the film. And that sequence, it wasn't originally supposed to rain blood. It was supposed to be that uh, Bill Sage Dodd's character and Devin Druid, who played Jake, they were supposed to kind of get into this blood pit and kind of hide. But then it had flooded and we had just dug the pit and we hadn't lined it and we hadn't done all the safety precautions and what was needed. And then it was filled and there were snakes in there. So it was like, okay, I can't put the actors in there. But then I had already shot the end of the film and they're covered in blood. So I had to get them covered in blood without getting them in the blood pit. So literally the day before, I was like, okay, I'm going to rain blood. And I was like, Maria has the power. She's going she's gonna <laughs> to rain blood. Because, you know, and we took the wonderful incantations that, uh, that Melora had done. And, and I layered those like throughout the whole film, you know, so you can hear them echoing and coming through different channels and the speakers and all that. And I was like, let's just do an incantation and then we'll rain blood. And we literally went to like every local store we could find and bought every piece of food coloring that actually existed in the like tri-county area around Guthrie, Oklahoma <laughs> and, and rain blood. But that's also credit to my producers and the team that was able to kind of help pull this off. And that's what any filmmaking is. You just have to adjust, you know, you roll with the punches and you figure out, okay, this is not what I thought it was going to be. How do I make this work within the parameters that you have? And those restrictions can then breed, you know, new creativity. But yeah, I mean, we have, we work with children. I've got, you know, wolves. They were real wolves. You know, they weren't just dogs. They're real wolves. We have cravens, oh, wow. which Melora loved our cravens. 
She was constantly like, Aaron, can I have the Craven in this shot? Can I have, you know, this? And she was, she's such a one with animals too. Like she just had a connection with the horses and the Cravens and like everything. She has this like connection to the world in a way that I, I can't, I can't explain or articulate. That's just so beautiful. But yeah, we had all of that. And then you throw in those weather elements and it was easily the most difficult film I've ever made. I mean, it paid off. It paid off, man. The Boo Crew will be right back. Scream with the devil. Go wild with the witch. Now, twice the terror in one double shock show. First, the most astounding downpour of horror ever seen. The Devil's Reign, starring William Shatner and John Travolta in his most exciting film. From the creators of Planet of the Apes, heaven help us all. When the Devil's Reign, plus on the same show, the girl with the powers of the super unnatural, the virgin witch, she'll take you on and turn you on. The witching hour is here. The virgin witch. See two double shockers from Joseph Brenner releasing. The Devil's Rain plus the Virgin Witch. Together, they'll leave you gasping. This program rated R. Starting off at the beginning of this film, people are going to notice this right off the bat when they press play on this thing or they see it in the theater. It's just got this incredible credit sequence. There's this amazing prop spell book. There's fire. There's this awesome music. It's breathtaking. It really kicks you in the teeth. And it's so grandiose right from the start. Talk a little bit about creating that, setting that tone right at the beginning, because it's really unique. There's almost two credit sequences. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, that actually is one of the only benefits of the pandemic that we had was because the the film, we ended up having a little more time. We knew we weren't going to play certain festivals because they were being canceled. So because the festivals were canceled, I didn't have the deadline. So I originally had this other credit sequence and I and people were laid off of work that were working as animators and they were just looking for work. So I, I called up one of my friends. So this guy named Brian Bean, who works with Rooster Teeth and does like a huge, like a gaming kind of like saying they make all these shows and stuff in, at Austin. And he had become available due to the pandemic. So I was like, well, if you're not doing anything else, like, can I let you work on this? Yeah, I have this crazy idea of, because again, I wanted, I wanted to build in backstory to the Cotton Mather piece and really kind of like, because that, that's a more important piece to the film, even though it's a small sequence than I think some folks realize and trying to compare as, as Melora wonderfully articulated, the familial kind of elements of the Coven of Witches and then the familial elements of what a band of brothers are as outlaws. And then, and the fact that like, how do you become outlaws and how do you become witches? And you start to kind of parallel those two. And it all starts from a place of faltering as a, a role model, as, as hate, as violence. And, you know, these young boys are exposed to that through their father. And, you know, Maria is exposed to that through Cotton Mather. And then in both those situations, that creates a gang, you know, out of the, the sins of the father. And then that creates a coven of witches. So they're, you know, th- these religious zealots being so fearful of something ended up inevitably creating that. And I will say, it's not so far-fetched that Cotton Mather could be tied to this because the point is that he's created this. So we can, that could be a very literal thing or it could be more of a figurative thing. But in either way, like his you know, like they like said, the overzealous kind of nature of his desire to like weed out this, these people that he does not understand. It's uh, that again, can plant a seed. And what if, what if a woman who was watching this 
watch this horrible atrocity happen, you know, and this woman get burned at the stake and she maybe dabbled in witchcraft. And the next thing you know, now you've created the, the real witches inadvertently. And I just thought there was something fun. And, and so to take that opening credit sequence and to kind of like, hey, pay attention to these aspects because they permeate through the rest of the, the script. So and the rest of the movie. The beauty and whimsical aesthetic carries on through the film. How do you ensure that tone remained throughout? There are scenes that are breathtaking, like seeing the reflection of flames in the little boy's eye or the coven of witches wearing the skull masks. Where do you draw that visual palette from? Goodness, I don't know. I see weird things in my head (laughs) and I'm like, this would be, I mean, for the longest time, you know, there's I will say like Stan Shaw Lester's death was something that they're like, you want to do what with the crow? Yeah, that was amazing. And, um, and I was like, I don't know. It's in my head. I, I see it. I think it's great. And I mean, shockingly, you know, go, we had to build that church because you would be, you wouldn't be surprised to know that the, no one in the state of Oklahoma was cool with us doing what we did in that church in a real church. So we had to build that church oh. uh, in order to make those things happen. So did you build yeah. an upside down version too? We did. We that's, that was practical. We didn't. That wasn't a camera oh, trick. We, wow! Yeah, we wow. practically. Yeah. So it was. It was cool. That is so amazing. Oh yeah, Emily. I was really curious. What was your favorite scene in the movie to shoot? I don't know. I liked all of them. I don't have favorite scenes. I just loved it. I think there was a point, Aaron, where I was like, "What have you created?" Remember, I was like, "Cause she talks like everything. She she talks so weirdly, and I'm moving it." So what's happened? (laughs) Was there anything, (laughs) Melora, on set? Was there anything that helped kind of protect that mystery between the Coven of Witches and your gang versus the Dalton gang? Did you guys separate on set and save those uh, interactive moments for when the camera was rolling? Was there any little tricks like that that you guys did? There were no tricks. Aaron cast very professional, amazing actors. Natasha Pearl was amazing. We bonded immediately, but everyone was kind of in their own world doing their own thing. I did come, I think I flew in twice. So I wasn't there the entire time. So I did often feel as though I was the outsider observer, which just added to my character because I really don't care about anything but the women and my daughter and really my daughter. So it was very simple in that sense. There was a thing where the the door opened, quote unquote, by itself. And I don't know if you know this, Aaron, but someone came up to me and said, people are, are you a witch? And I was like, uh, I'm playing a witch. And they're like, yeah, well, everybody's saying you put a spell on the door. <laughs> Did you know this? Well, <laughs> I had them. So there were people hiding, pulling the strings. So when you, yeah. when, when Maria first comes out, I wanted to have subtle, there's a lot of subtle things that kind of happen. And when she walks out of the saloon, if there are people hiding, pulling strings that like cause the doors to open, but we wanted to time it to where you don't really notice it at first. It's like a very, very subtle thing. So, uh, so yeah, I don't, I don't even know if you knew the doors were going to open for you that way. No, I didn't know that because we discussed that and you know, okay. there are all these tests because they w- didn't open or they opened. That's right. That's and, right. You know, so I knew all that, but someone was like, yeah, she, rumor has it you put a spell on the doors i'm like "Ah, i didn't put a spell on the doors so whatever but then i started to realize that maybe some people thought i did and in la it's very cool if you're a witch you know there are all these 
like on Instagram and like, you know, podcasts. It's, it's, it's very in. It is not in in Oklahoma. I had a moment where I'm like, oh my God, they think, you know, like someone or someone here or a few people think that I'm like bad or evil. And cause I never have thought of Maria as evil, like in playing her, I can't think that. And I had it. I had a tinge of fear. And then I, that, you know, you asked the question earlier that actually helped me understand what women in those days dealt with because a rumor like that, it's terrible when it's not cool. <laughs> it's terrifying. It's also based you know, I had read stories. So most during the Salem witch trials, the majority were actually stoned or hanged. But there were stories of people being burned at the stake and people who had fled. And and I had read about a woman who thought that she might have been pregnant and was trying to hide from this. And, the, and then she was caught in this other town and then was kind of, you know, burned at the stake. And the idea of a pregnant woman being burned at the stake is just like the most horrific thing imaginable. And, and it was there. It was also I was glad to have that moment because I knew you know, one of the things that Melora does like so brilliantly and famously is like when she goes there, she goes there. And, and I remember she's like, Aaron, you know, I'm going to like, you know what I'm going to do. Like, you know how I'm going to be, you know? And I remember we were trying, I'm like, you don't have to keep screaming. Like you, we, we got to do take after take after take. And she's just, I mean, talk about like, you know, just wake like everyone, you can just feel it in your bones. Like, and she's there and it's just, it's so raw and visceral and what's going on. But, but yeah, there was a, there was just a lot to kind of, that you're able to kind of play with. And, and and actually I will say too, we had people when all the flooding was happening and the hail and lightning storms and all this, someone on the set said that, well, it's because you're doing what you're doing in a church. And that this was God punishing us for the for what happened. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. The costumes were sublime. Melora, what was your experience with that? And was there any magic in getting into those period outfits? Yours is exceptionally cool. It was a period dress. Bill found it because I said to Aaron, what am I wearing? Like, like hair, makeup, wardrobe is like really, for me, it locks the character in. So he was emailing me pictures and, and it's, it's a real dress from the, that time. And so it was, you know, layers and chill helping me get into it. And, and it's so interesting because those clothes, they, they affect how you move. Mm. Right. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, the way you carry yourself as that character, that dress must really ignite the real physical transformation. Jillian Bundrick, the costume designer, is just absolutely amazing at what she does. She's so good. She's one of those people, too, that you're always looking, especially when you're making an indie film, you're looking for crew that elevate their area of expertise. Like you have ideas and I had ideas and then she would take those ideas and make them even better. And one of the things that we talked about a lot in making a Western was there's so many quick problem, like pitfalls of things get cheap when you have to do an independent and, and a low budget Western. So the, the, you know, the outfits and the costumes have to work. 
And Jillian is just masterful at that. I, I've joked with her, like, I'll wear a t-shirt that's like, Jillian Bundrick is my costume designer for like life. Like on any movie I ever make, <laughs> I want to bring her, you know, I'm about to produce a movie here soon and I want to bring her out there and do it. You know, I don't care where she lives. I want to bring her out there and do it. She's so good. She's exquisite in, in her sense of detail as well, because there's, there's a brooch and it just looks like a brooch. Yeah. But she's like, I found this and then I found this bird skull and I'm thinking, uh, you know, just this, maybe no one would notice it, but little things like that, just little small things, this attention to detail and, and texture and, and the fabric. She's, she's really amazing. She designs clothes as well. Like you should look her up. She yeah. is amazing. Pearl too. Like Pearl had a, you know, she had a, her choker was made out of these bird feathers. And again, so part of this is like when you talk about the folklore of witches and the familiars and all this and what happens is, you know, like with the with the cravens, the crows, you know, and what's there and what could really be happening. And there's a moment where Pearl is captured and then she escapes and you only see, a, you know, you're outside and you just see a crow fly away. And you're like, well, what has happened here? And actually the, the, the musical cue in that moment, I titled a familiar escape oh, is cool. what I, what I called it. But, but yes, yeah, so, so all those things <laughs> kind of tie in, but Jillian, sorry, back to, back to Jillian, she would, she would find ways to kind of, okay, well, the crows maybe may, whether or not they change into them or they see through them or whatever that could be, but there was a tie to them. So that kind of the black and the feathery things and the little brooch with the crow skull and all that kind of all tie into that. And how about, let's, let's go in a little bit about the design of the witches. You were talking a little bit about it earlier using rolled dolls, the witches as sort of a jumping off point to create your own whole unique look. So what we have is kind of a cross hybrid between like the vampires from, from dust till dawn mixed with the witches yeah. from rolled dolls, the witches, right. these things are crawling <laughs> on ceilings. They're leaping off buildings on roofs and stuff. How did you do? Was that achieved practically? Who designed those with you and created those? So that's all Becky Ingram, David Greathouse, and uh, you know Nate Bright. There's a team. Becky, I've worked with before. I worked with her on my first feature, Camera Obscura. She's just magical, a lovely, lovely person that I always want to work with. And she wasn't. We couldn't work out the timing for her to be on Scare Package. So I was really glad that she could be on this. And yeah, that, that was all. The, the makeup was about a four hour. When we did the full scale, there were some that you only show certain angles of, or you could do, uh, you know, a bit more, uh, you know, efficiently, but it's about a four hour, completely practical head to toe makeup job. And my whole thing was I wanted the, like I said, like that raw doll style of the exaggerated features with the nose and the ears and all this, because the idea is that they're all, you know, hundreds of years old, yeah. potentially. Right. So if you've got that and, but when you, and then you take the bathery kind of background where if you bathe in the blood, it allows you to keep your youthful look. But then if they also had been burnt at the stake, so you kind of combine all that together. So they have the look of what they were like prior to being burnt. And that's where that's the kind of brothel women that are the working women that are there. And then, but their real form, if they don't have enough blood to bathe in, is this burnt at the stake, you know, exaggerated features. Um, there's even like subtle glisten that kind of happens like on their skin that we put on. So in the, in the night, you kind of see them in different angles and stuff. And yeah, it's uh, I love practical effects. I and mean, clearly you all know, you saw scare package, you know what I think of practical effects. So everything's practical, you know, I mean, there's only a couple small, like accentuated CGI aspects of that. And then even the ones that are crawling on the ceiling, I went later did flew Becky in, and we and Ryan Shadley, another makeup artist, and we went to a green screen room, a green screen floor, and then shot reverse angle 
with the same lenses and everything to make it look and then shot these women crawling on the floor. And then we were able to take those and practically just like shrink them down and make them fit on crawling on the ceiling. And you had to do the math to make that all work and everything. Andrew Bear, my, my DP and I, we spent a lot of time doing that to make those work. But those are, that's not a digital witch that we created that's crawling. That is a person who's doing that that we have now placed into the scene later after the fact. And people, so killer. you're oh, wow. on set and nobody has any idea. Like, they're like, what are we doing? I'm like, why are you just shooting the ceiling? And I'm like, you'll see. Trust me. It's hard to describe. Like, <laughs> yeah. I promise wow. you, I got it. But yeah. <laughs> Melora, what was your reaction to seeing the finished film and watching all the, you know, the final effects in and seeing all these crawling witches and what was created? I loved it. I mean, I, I watched, I mean, I didn't watch because they were in a separate room, but, you know, I saw... I saw the like normal women like, hi. And then, you know, a couple hours later, you know, it's this being. So um, it was just kind of, for me, it was like being a kid yeah. and seeing all this stuff that I'd never seen before. Oh, that's so fun. That's the magic right. of horror. I love it. Aaron saying, you know, people saying, what are you doing? You're just shooting the ceiling. And he's like, don't worry. I got it. You're going to see why. I mean, that's Aaron magic. Like, we're doing this, and you're like, okay, because you know in his head it's going to turn into that or something. Yeah, since you filmed uh, in some very old locations with a lot of history, did anything paranormal occur on set, or did anyone have any haunting experiences? Not that I can, not that I can recall. I mean, like I said, we were told that God was punishing us, right. you know, <laughs> that's that was there. Uh, <laughs> right. So, and th so there were times where I thought like we were definitely cursed. I will say that, um, but, uh, but no, nothing, nothing for me. Yeah, no, sorry, Shutter, nice. no cursed. I mean, but I'll tell a story to get on Curse Film Season 2. Oh, yeah, Shutter, yeah, do it, do it. Oh, no, no, I'm saying I'll, I'll make up something. I'll, I'll create something to make it happen. <laughs> Did either one of you keep anything from the production? Like costuming, prosthetics? Yeah, we know you're a, you're a big prop collector yourself, Aaron. I have tons of stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, I have ton, I have all the outfits, oh. well, except for the vintage ones. So, like, like Malar's outfit was... I mean, we couldn't even, that's like the cost of the shoot to like have to have that dress. <laughs> so um, that wow. had to go back. And, uh, but no, I kept, I kept a lot of the, yeah, there's, and I also have, I have like the crow that interacts with Stan Shaw's character. Oh, I wow. have, um, yeah, I have. And, and there was, we also had, there's a couple times where we had a, a, you know, taxidermy crow that was like sitting in the background, you know, and different stuff. So I have those in a couple places. Um, they have all the blood soaked clothing um, and a lot of that. Yeah, I have, I have, I have, God, I have a time. Uh, all Pat Healy's props. I have all those little books and stuff. Yeah, the spell books and stuff. Those things are beautiful. I, I keep all that stuff. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. you got them. Melora, did you manage to, do you do that, Melora, in general? Do you keep anything from any of the films you're in? I don't. The only thing I did was the land there, it's red dirt. So I have family or I had family in Northwestern Arkansas. So it's the same red dirt. So I took some red dirt. home. That was the thing though. Like when, when it was all the rain, there was mud. So you'd walk on like planks of wood, which is actually very authentic in those days. That's why they created planks of wood. But I'm in this vintage dress that as Aaron said, like costs who knows what. And at the end of the day, it's like covered in red mud. And I don't know how Jillian cleaned that overnight, but she did. Oh, wow. oh my oh, gosh. Wow. That's amazing. That's the real, that's the real magic right there. Yeah. Melora, moving forward, 
What's coming up next for you? You've got a couple different projects in, in production in different stages. There's one in particular called Off Season that we're really curious about. Another horror film with Richard Brake and Jocelyn Donahue and Joe Swanberg, who we're all massive fans of. What's the latest with that project in particular? It, it was wrapped in January in Florida. Kind of, a, a, again, really kind of amazing experience. Again, this kind of film. And I was going back and forth with the pale door with a film called Severed Silence. So I, I've really been inundated in this different genre, literally. Yeah. So it's been very interesting, been very interesting. But I, I don't know. I'm, I'm going to be in season two again of um, Pen15. Very cool. And then I have a film called Drowning that will be um, released at the end of October. Not genre. I just want to work with Aaron again. (laughs) I'm sure he would. I'm sure he would love to. Pale Door Two. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. How about you, Aaron? What's What's coming on down besides the Pale Door sequel? (laughs) Uh, Well, I will say I do have an idea for the prequel that would be with with the witches, and it would be all one central story. So. I think there's something there, but we'll, we'll see. We need enough people to watch it. But uh, yes, Melora, by the way, the amount of times your name comes up as we're writing other projects, I'm like, oh, this would be perfect for Melora. This would be perfect for Melora. It happens all the time. Please. I'm of waiting. Course. I'm waiting. Oh, you're the best. The best. <laughs> the best. You know, we're really hoping, we're keeping our fingers crossed for the potential for maybe a, a Scare Package sequel. There's there's some talks of, you know, folks keep watching it. That's very possible. And then I've got this uh, sci-fi horror thing that's a David Cronenberg kind of story. Um, it's inspired, Cronenberg kind of inspired story that I really want to do called Dream Machine. And, uh, and then we're, we're producing a couple movies right now, too, so that my company's kind of making with some other folks that I can't announce either one of those, but um, they're, they're all in kind of the horror thriller space, of course. We've been keeping very busy during the pandemic. So. Yeah, which is it's interesting oh, to watch productions kind of yeah. find out ways of, of dealing with the restrictions and things and, and get back to work. It's, it's really inspiring, and it's also interesting to see how much new horror films are being released on a consistent <laughs> basis, especially indie right, right around now. It seems weekly there's these just rule-breaking horror genre films coming out. Well, we were going right. to release later in the year. I mean, we're exactly that. So, wow. I mean, we were going to play a bunch of festivals and then release like, you know, later in the year, October, November and that. But what's happened is as bigger movies got delayed and pulled out, there's opportunities for to get more eyes on the film. So I wish I could be seeing this movie with a crowd and, and, and experience that. Um, so I haven't had that yet, but we will, you know, but it was smart to bring it out now just because, there's there's a, a fever for this. There's more availability because these other films, you know, are, we're not competing with in the marketplace nearly yeah. as much. So that's there. And then we'll, we're playing. And actually, this weekend, you know, when we're out, we're playing the uh, you know number of theaters. Are, they're still doing it. They're socially distanced theaters. I don't encourage anyone to go inside a theater, but if you're going to go in a theater, you might as well see the pale door. Uh, and then, but we're playing at a lot of drive-ins and stuff too. And those are going to pick up and. You know, so it's uh, it's all kind of a crazy, weird experience. This whole time is so odd. And, you know, I mean, right now we're doing like I said, we're budgeting this other movie and it's all the covid safety precautions and the people like you have a covid person, multiple covid people in their zones. And it's a it's a kind of crazy, crazy world right now. But uh, we're navigating it, you know, and we're going to live in what that new world means and do our best. And, uh, you know, and, and I'm glad the movie's getting out now so that. Folks can have another escape. 
you know, yep. in a totally different way than Scare Package, though. That's right. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, thank you so much for spending the time with us today. We really appreciate it. It was yes. such a pleasure to meet you and be part of your show. That was the Boo Crew Podcast episode 151. Special thanks to our guests, Aaron B. Kuntz and Melora Walters. Follow Aaron at Aaron B. Kuntz on Instagram and Twitter. That's A-A-R-O-N-K-O-O-N-T-Z and at Melora.Walters on Instagram and at underscore Melora underscore on Twitter. See their tremendous new film, The Pale Door, available in theaters on demand and digital now. Production tracks for this episode provided by Power Man 5000. If you like this episode, be sure to check out episode 138 with Aaron B. Kuntz and Cameron Burns from Scare Package, episode 65 with Jocelyn Donahue. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying sweet screams. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shands and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shands, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shands. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting Podcast Network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network. Home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews. SCP archives. Weekly full cast storytelling. Horror queers. Genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective. And creepy. For disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.